1: 61 of the terrible book club i'm paris and this is chris hi i'm right here uh this time we are continuing to roast ourselves we decided that it was time to review some past missteps and things we were wrong about on air and we had so much content that we had to break it up into two episodes so we try to keep this show con, con- not controversial
0: we try to keep it <laughs> conversational
1: <super offensive. laughs> oh boy take that line again yeah. We try to keep the show conversational and familiar, but the consequence of that at times is that one of us will say something that isn't quite right, is downright false, or kind of cringy. So, we feel like it's only fair that we reevaluate ourselves on a show that centers on criticism. Uh, if this is your first time listening to this show, turn back now and maybe pick another episode, uh, because this is a this is like a. Retrospective: What we usually do here at the Terrible Book Club is we read books that we assume will be bad based on their cover, title, summary, or some combination of the three. So we read books that we would never read under normal circumstances. Usually this experiment results in a disappointing read, but once in a while we like the book and we're actually the terrible ones. Uh so for content warnings, I mean, in addition to our usual barnyard language, we're once again, just like the last one, probably gonna touch on a lot of things that people might consider offensive, like sex, drugs, violence, et cetera. The so the first
0: one up today is an erotica book. So, you know. <laughs> yeah.
1: So you know, uh if if you feel like some of those things might bother you. Maybe pick a different episode that's just focused around one book. Uh, but otherwise, just uh, enjoy the ride. So I think, Chris, are you starting off this one? Yeah. All I right. mean,
0: perhaps we should alert people of our recording situation in case the audio <laughs> ends up a little weird here.
1: Yeah. So so we're pulling a, we're pulling an Antiques Freaks today. Uh, our friends of the Antiques Freaks record their show with one microphone, and uh, we find ourselves in that predicament today. Chris and I are actually in the same room today, and... Um, Chris bought a mic- brought a microphone with him that required phantom power, and I only have enough phantom power for one microphone, so I was like, oh, cool, no problem, I got a backup mic, yeah, my backup mic's uh, input jack is fucked, so here we are, um, and in addition to our predicament of having only one microphone, it's also uh, thunderstorming today, I am babysitting a cat, uh, and it's really fucking hot, and we are sitting right next to each other, so...
0: So, you know, if if you hear some weird noises, if it sounds like a, a morning zoo hour soundboard with cats and thunder and <laughs> yeah. us probably knocking our heads together when we both go for the mic at the same time, Three Stooges style, that might happen. But I am indeed the first one up today with, um, we stopped at episode 30 last time, which didn't really have anything to it because it was our sort of other episode where we sort of went aside like this
1: yeah and episode 31 um i didn't find anything for so chris is gonna pick it up with episode 32
0: crawfish baby (laughs) which i'm sure we all remember well as the uh short little um gay erotica novelette about that had a, a seafood theme to it and jazz Anyway, we got into a little, uh, you you mentioned a story uh, or a thing about piano legs being considered scandalous by Victorians.
1: Yeah, I knew, I later found out that that was not correct.
0: Well, yeah, indeed, I'm here to correct you on this one. Um, It was like a joke that was around in those times. Apparently, it originated in the writings of a Captain Frederick Marriott, an officer in the British Navy who kept a travelogue of his times and travels in America when he was here. Um, And he made a joke along those lines because the Puritans there were super uptight, and he wrote a joke about how, oh, they had to cover up their piano legs because they were so scandalous. People read the travelogue, they were into the joke, so they kept making references to it, and long long enough that apparently we started taking it as facts nowadays, but it is not true. That Victorians found piano legs scandalous, they just found
1: regular-leg scandalous. <laughs> okay. All right. That's still dumb, but le- somewhat less dumb. Uh, so, speaking of Puritans, uh, I covered episode 33, The Betrayal, the first book in the Fear Street Saga by R.L. Stein, which we read for my own uh, amusement because I was really into those books as a kid and, like, you know, didn't really remember much about them. So... In that episode I made a statement about like oh they weren't those puritans they weren't wearing colors no way yeah that's I was fucking wrong I'm an asshole uh puritans were wearing colors in the US in the late 17th century uh colors were allowed in puritan times and were in fact worn by the lower classes whereas black was reserved for the upper class due to the high cost of black dye so the people in the lower classes like those living in a village such as Salem village or the fictional village in this book um which is based on Salem, would have very likely been wearing deep reds, deep blues, deep purples, and browns because you could obtain these colors through vegetable-based dyes at a low cost. Um, of course, jewelry and other adornment was also reserve- was uh, also only reserved for the upper class. So things like scarves, silk, lace, and like you know, physical silver and gold jewelry. Um, by the 1690s, though, which is the time that this book takes place. Current fashions were kind of eroding Puritan influence, and more and more people were kind of pushing boundaries and dressing more ostentatiously. Uh, Of course, though, if you lived in, like, a heavily Puritan settlement, you could still be fined and actually prosecuted and jailed for dressing uh, immodestly or excessively. Um, And this came up in the episode because, well, uh, the jewelry part came up because we were talking about how, like... It's really weird that the one of the main evil characters, like, one of the main bad guys is wearing this big silver amulet that says, like, Dominatio per Malum on it. We're like, yo, wouldn't somebody have noticed that? And, yeah, I'm pre- I am I kind of call shenanigans on that being included because, I mean, unless he was, unless he did a really good job hiding it, which, I mean, the book notes a couple of times that people see it. So, like, I just feel like he wouldn't have been able to get away with a giant silver amulet, like, bejeweled amulet, so.
0: <laughs> Gotta have that church bling.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, except that wasn't church bling. That was evil bling. <laughs> Satan bling. Um, the second question... I don't that think a- anyone uses the
0: word bling anymore, by the way. I think I'm, like, horrendously outdated in the use of that word.
1: Yeah, I'm going to agree with you there. <laughs> um, so the second issue that came up during this episode was, would a town actually carry out a sentence from a magistrate who disappeared under suspicious circumstances? So in the book, the magistrate you know, condemns uh, these women to burn at the stake for being witches um and we talked about how that was historically inaccurate because there were never any witch burnings in the u.s all of the burnings occurred in england Uh, in the u.s they had a lot of other creative murders uh but none by burning mostly drowning pressing and and people being hanged so anyway the magistrate passes the sentence and then of course the magistrate is the evil guy and like steals a bunch of money and shit from people and flees in the night and then the town like still carries out the sentence to kill the witches and So it's, like, it's a difficult question for someone who's not, like, a 17th century U.S. legal scholar, right? Um, Because it's not just something you can Google and figure out. That being said, from what I've read, it seems pretty likely that they probably would have still carried out the sentence because the magistrate being an evil asshole. Like, I don't think people would have seen those two things as connected, right? It's, like, sure, he was an evil asshole, but, like, witches are still scary. Right, right. They're still a witch. So, yeah, I think they actually probably would have. Of course, if you... um, are a Puritan legal scholar, please let us know.
0: Law and Order <laughs> Puritan unit, which was a thing that came up in one of my episodes in uh, House uh, in the Dark of the Woods, actually.
1: Oh, yeah. Special Witches unit. Yeah. Um, another. It's actually several, several questions in this episode. The next one was, uh, were church services held in Latin at this time? Uh, this is also another question that arose in connection with that amulet we were talking about where we were saying, like, you know, if somebody saw another person wearing this fucking evil-ass-looking amulet with jewels in it that said Dominatio Parmalum, like, they probably know enough Latin to figure out that that was not good, right? Um, so, Puritans were highly literate in English since they wanted everyone to be able to read and understand the Bible. Although those who went to school knew Latin, um, it's it's very possible that farming folk in villages likely weren't fluent in Latin, and the sermons were actually probably given in English. Still, there were likely enough learned people in the town to know that dominatio permala means power through evil and wearing, like I just said, wearing a large bejeweled amulet would Literally have been weird yeah, enough. Thing that says, hello, I'm evil around your neck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, I kind of, again, I call shenanigans on the amulet. Uh, next, we have the question of was wind Satan? Satan. Uh, Chris asked this because uh, there's like a, a scene uh, during one of the trials where Candles are flickering, and people are like, Oh, it's the devil. And Chris was like, Come on. But honestly, yeah, wind kind of was Satan. I think I actually addressed this on a later episode, but Puritans feared witches' abilities to change the weather. And so, like, a large gust of wind or candles flickering a lot in a courtroom could very well be considered evidence of witchcraft during a trial and further condemn the accused. So, yes, wind is Satan.
0: So, don't have a trial on a windy day if you can help it.
1: Right. But the accused can't choose that. So, Y'all fucked, basically. Uh, another... The last question from this episode was... <laughs> could you really conceal a secret room in a small one-to-two-room house? Uh, this came up because... One Contractor
0: of, talk with terrible books. Yeah,
1: well, one of the characters uh, had this secret room with all of his, like, magic stuff in it because he was a witch. And, I mean... All right, so, I, I will say it is possible... Is it plausible, though? Like, I don't know. I mean, if it's a full room, fucking no. But if they mean, if by secret room they meant, like, a secret compartment, like, sure, I'm sure that that was possible. But they specifically called it a secret room in the book, and he had, like, I think, enough room to do fucking spell shit in there. So, I don't know. It's possible, like, if he was able to build the house without a lot of people around when you know while during its construction then sure i'm sure you could have built a small room like adjacent to a closet or something that no one would have noticed um but i i really find that hard to believe because in communities at that time it's not like you were just building a house out in the middle of nowhere like this was in a populated village so i don't know again I'll, i'm gonna say it's possible uh probably not likely but possible all right that's it for me okay
0: well, I'm up now with The Stain of Time.
1: Oh, fuck. I forgot about this episode. This
0: is the book that is an unauthorized biography of Trent Reznor <laughs> by a person who who wrote it, apparently, this is part of the, the question here, by suspending a pendulum that pointed to letters that spelled out the book. We had a whole discussion about whether that was possible. Clearly, that's not. However, there was a claim made. Uh, by the author that um, uh, dowsing techniques like this were used by militaries all the time.
1: Yeah, correct. So
0: I did a little research on this. And while we might, I mean, it depends on what you call dowsing. Because um, dowsing can basically mean any sort of t- pointing something at something that you think will guide you towards something. And in fact, in fact, there have been many devices sold to police uh stations law enforcement and militaries that are basically bullshit tracking devices for like drugs or paraphernalia or things like that okay
1: okay so they were sold to them but like you said bullshit so they didn't actually work right
0: no, what they did not, in fact. <laughs> the, some of these include things like the ADE651, the SNFX, not to be confused with <laughs> X with a capital EX over there, which was a chemical used by a different company that actually worked for whatever the fuck the chemical was for. Oh, okay. So they had a whole, like, copyright issue with that, too. <laughs> so there funny. was the GT200 and the Quadro Tracker. All of these things are basically... Some kind of apparatus with, like, uh, a, an antenna that points in a certain direction that's kind of, like, free-spinning. It's usually, like—you um, can't see my hands, listeners, but it, it's, like, an antenna that's on a thing that's, like, rotating almost like a weather vane. Okay. And apparently you would, like, load in some material for the antenna to track. One had, like, a card reader or something, so you would, like, put something on a card. Uh, one of them was literally just, like, show, p- put a picture through it like a fax machine— <laughs> And, like, the antenna would track the drugs. What? This was sold to police departments, and they bought it for, like, tens of thousands of dollars. They didn't fucking work, and a lot of these people were indicted for fraud. Sick. So things happen, I guess, when you fuck over law enforcement and military, at least.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't think all of them were indicted for all of these examples and everything. There's plenty of other examples, too, and lots and lots of money that was spent, like tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars on orders for, like, 10, 20 of these fucking bullshit machines, essentially.
1: Wow, that's great. So, so this is another uh, another instance of like the claim technically being correct, but it's still bullshit. Like, yeah, militaries did use them, but they didn't actually work. They no, weren't real. No,
0: no, <laughs> they didn't. No, they didn't at all. You don't get, you can't find drugs by showing something a picture of drugs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, Chris, the AI is just that advanced. <laughs> Fuck you. All right, so, um, The next episode was mine, and it was Woman Worship, that collection of poems that I'm sure you all remember quite well. If you haven't listened to that episode, you need to. Uh, So I really only had one thing that uh, I didn't, you know, I felt like needed clarification. Uh, One of the poems I read had, like, a line in it about how, like, his, his woman's hips had, like, gotten wider and it made it easier to fuck her and i was like fuck (laughs) off whatever so like so like it's like sort of true and sort of not so a woman having wider hips doesn't make it easier to fuck her i mean unless unless you're unless you're thinking about this in a in a very like um base way and you just need more uh surface area to grip like in that case sure But the way that it was written made it seem as though her hips were widening and making her vagina wider, which is not a thing. But fucking holy shit. Did you know that women's hips actually do change size over time? I didn't fucking know that. So your uh, female pelvises actually respond to changes in estrogen in their bodies. So like... Uh, your pelvis actually enlarges and changes, can sometimes also slightly change orientation as you approach peak fertility, which is like 25 to 30 years of age. But then it actually narrows after around the age of 40. So if the author was talking about a woman around the age of 30, then his statement holds, but I honestly don't think, and it's not like a visible change. Like, I mean, of course, you know, and I'm talking about bone structure here, so it's a very slow change in your this bone structure of your pelvis. Uh, I'm not talking about gaining fat around your hip area. Of course that is very visible. And that happens for sometimes differ different reasons. Like these things aren't the same. Like your uh pelvic bones do not enlarge at the same rate that you gain fat around your pelvic girdle. Like those are two different phenomena. But um I mean sometimes they have the same cause, but anyway. Uh, so yeah, I I learned that you know your pelvic your pelvic area can actually get larger and change shape and size, uh, but then it gets smaller after you pass, you know, peak fertility. So, like, once you're passing 40, your pelvic region can actually narrow. So that's really interesting.
0: So what you're saying is you're going to get narrower over time now, Paris. You're just going to slowly become a stick.
1: Fuck you, Chris. <laughs> no, I must not Don't remind me of my aging. Well, yeah...
0: You're at your, Technically, you're at your widest right now, right? So be happy. Oh,
1: I don't know what's worse, honestly. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't... If I, if
0: I, maybe I shouldn't have brought it up. Uh, no, no, you definitely
1: <laughs> should not have. <laughs>
0: oh, fuck.
1: <laughs> All right, what's up next? All
0: right, it's Too Far by oh. our buddy Rich Shapiro, the the romance novel between two six-year-olds.
1: <laughs> you know, when you say it like that, you make it sound like... We're, it, I mean it has I was actually surprised well, okay, so by what it. is
0: it then? What well, how would you describe this book, Paris?
1: <laughs> no, you're right. That is
0: what <laughs> so it is. okay, right. <laughs> anyway, in this book, one of the children's is one of the children is named Fristine. F-R-I-S-T-E-E-N. <laughs> and at the beginning top of the whole episode we were basically like, is that a real name at all? And we were both like, there's no way that can be a real name. There it must have been like his kid or some kid he knows like making names up so I went and I just typed Fristine into Google, and it returned, like, three results, two of which are for too far, and one of which is a babynames.com page with just the name Fristine on it. So I'm going to go ahead and say, no, that's a fake name, and I'm going to—my headcans that Rich himself added Fristine to babynames.com's house. So. Oh, well,
1: didn't I already tell you on the episode that his daughter made it up? Like, I read an interview where he said that his daughter... Yes,
0: but it. I still wanted to know. Oh, Perhaps okay. she had subliminally picked it I up. See. I wanted to be 100% sure on this case. And yes. no, it only returns Rich Shapiro and a, literally a babynames.com page. So maybe someone read too far. I was like, that's a great name. That's a good baby name. I don't know.
1: I mean, fuck. There's a bunch of babies out there named Khaleesi right now. So, like, I wouldn't put that past anybody. <laughs> All right. Uh, next episode for me... Was episode thirty-seven lawfully challenged inspirational Christian contemporary a canine lawkeeper romance? He's oh, such a long- law. <laughs> yeah, a three-part title. Um, my first, uh, thing in this book that I wanted to double check was: are police dogs chosen for their handlers like some kind of weird astrological matchmaking? Uh, they actually are matched based on personality. So I couldn't find any info on exactly what that personality matchmaking process is, but I did find out that human candidates have to do preliminary tryouts before they ever get matched. The book had it backwards. So... In reality, people need to prove that they're not scared of dogs, and they have to go through some test biting exercises, and the whole canine team actually votes on who they want to join them. Then, once they get into the training, there are written tests every week in addition to the practical trials. Um, They do, the the police dogs do live with their handlers, but they are not supposed to be treated as pets. So a lot of the things in the book were kind of wrong. Like, they had it backwards. Like, in the book, it was like, they selected the dogs, and, you know, she just, she applied for the program and got in, but, like... It isn't quite that simple, I guess. Um, so yeah, that was that. Uh, I read some interesting stuff about police dogs. It was cool. Uh, the other, the other question we had was, "Would a cop feasibly work Monday through Friday?" Um, so it's pretty unlikely, but technically, it is possible that someone could rotate through a schedule like that. But it probably wouldn't be permanent because, I mean, cops have to, like there have to be cops all the time, constantly, and it's not an office job. Like, of course, there's some office work involved, but like. It's, I guess, I, I kind of call shenanigans on that concept in the book. It's pretty unlikely that anyone would be working Monday through Friday as a police officer, even one that's going through, like, canine training or whatever. So, technically possible, but not quite plausible.
0: Well, I mean, we're going to get another dog cop book from you later, so we have a little bonus stuff about dogs for, from that on my end. Next up for me was Johnny Tremaine, which actually, that was the one we shared with Antiques Freaks for the first time, and guess what? They know their shit. We didn't really have a lot to correct or capture on that one, to be honest with you. Special shout out to the Antiques Freaks once again over here. We're using your micing technique for this episode, so you're getting a lot of love. <laughs> your other episode's coming up here, too. Thanks, guys, for bearing with us on those episodes.
1: Yeah, and uh, thanks for thanks for getting everything so, uh, so right. Uh, so after that, we have episode 39, which was X-Files, Antibodies. Uh, so, oh shit, I missed one in this. Oh, well. Did the X-Files really have an episode about a baseball playing alien? Because Chris was talking about his only memory of X-Files being this episode about a baseball alien and I was like, "Fuck off, Chris. No way." No, that yeah, that was I right. It. I
0: I knew it. It's, it's <laughs> seared in my brain as this terrifying moment.
1: Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, I think As much as I'm a huge X-Files fan and I watched a bunch of it as a kid, like, there's obviously huge gaps in my memory, you know, I don't, I probably haven't seen everything, so, uh, yeah, it was episode 19 of season 6 and it is called The Unnatural, so if you want to also have a horrifying scene of a baseball player turning into an alien and having a a tearful coming out ceremony (laughs) with his human friends, there you go.
0: I remember that scene so vividly in my head, Paris. (laughs)
1: You know what? We should watch it together after this. I'm really interested in seeing it. Um, uh, So, secondly, we we had another quibble with this one where uh, we were wondering if it was reasonable that federal agents could overnight samples to the CDC for testing. And I think that is feasible. Um, I think in the context of the story, it didn't seem super credible that it would rise to the top of the CDC's queue. I think is the thing. So I think they could definitely overnight samples at the CDC as federal agents. But like, I don't know that. I don't know. I feel like they probably have a lot of shit going on. And they were probably like, what is this fucking robot blood? Like, fuck off. You
0: know, so I don't. I don't- fucking Mulder's sending in some weird shit again. The last time he sent me what he thought was alien poop. Turns out it was just a <laughs> Swedish fish. <laughs> Okay, I'm up next with the Angel Warfangs, a deadly angel's book. This was the one about the Angel, vampire, Viking angel, and we had a discussion.
1: I'm just shaking my head because I fucking hated that. Book. It was it was
0: a bad one. It was it was it was just mishmashing so much junk together. It it, it didn't even leave. I anyway, we had a discussion in that about. Uh, Christianity-inspiring early Goths or, like, them actually being very Christian or worshipping Jesus as, like, the original Goth. And I tried to do a little digging on this, and all I really found was there's, like, an Anne Rice novel that makes a mention of Jesus being a vampire, and there are... I did find, like, a Jehovah's Witness forum that was, like, positing this as, like, kind of a fun... They weren't, like, you know serious about it It was just like a funny off-topic post in some Jehovah's Witness forum about like, hey, if you think about it, he rose from the dead, there was a whole weird blood thing with him, yada, yada, yada. But I didn't really find a lot connecting like the original... And by the way, I'm talking about like goths in terms of like music and aesthetic, not like the Roman goths, which was a completely different thing entirely.
1: Well, so there is... I so I'm I don't know enough about it to sit here and like go on about it, but there is a video that explains how we got from the Goths as like a like a tribe of people um to Goths as in present day like you know kind of industrial sad music, black attire, Christian imagery. So it all kind of got there's like a a progression of events that led to it all being connected, but like the spark notes version from what I can remember is that gothic so the goths were a group of people who were eventually converted to christianity and then there was there was a style of architecture um you know called gothic architecture and it was in reference to it's like barbarian like the word goth was always um kind of interchangeable with barbarian you know and so they were like oh yes it's architecture from those places or whatever and then um fast forward a couple hundred years or thousand years i forget um and you eventually have authors in you know the 19th 18th 19th or 19th century writing uh dark gothic stories that take place in this architecture in this gothic architecture that's where like Gothic romance novels and Gothic novels kind of got their name is because they often were set in buildings like that. And then it just kind of spiraled out of control from there. And so there's like this huge mishmash. And again, I'm probably not doing a great job explaining it. Um, So there is a video that I'll link to in the comments. Um, I think it's like, it's not stuff you should know, but it's like, it's like a weird little cartoon and it kind of explains it. And, and so you have all this like Christian iconography getting mashed up with Gothic stuff um because the ar- it was all because of architecture weirdly and then uh spin off from that there are plenty of goths who are christian actually oh yeah absolutely yeah. that's and that's so, totally a
0: thing yeah i and, was just wondering how much of like the initial impetus of the goth movement was perhaps related to explicit christianity and it mm-hmm. seems more it's like incidental to the aesthetic of yeah. a church right. which can be creepy it sort of, sort of got a little bit tangled up there, but it's not truly like, hey, the first goths were super Christian or anything, which is what I was kind of hunting for.
1: Yeah, uh, the video is called "A Brief History of Goths." Uh, it's a TED Ed thing, TED Ed. So I'll post. Dead. I'll post the link. I'll post. post <laughs> <laughs> I'll post the link. Right. Anyway. Uh, oh yeah, it's
0: you now. Again, because Luckiest Girl Alive, I guess, did not have anything. No, worth.
1: I didn't I didn't find anything.
0: Okay. Um, how, I had the second House of Night book, Betrayed. <laughs> and the first one, I failed you because I just reposited stuff that you had said already in the episode because I wasn't listening well. <laughs> but this is a concern that was part of both uh, House of Night episodes. <laughs> and that is the use of brown pop to describe soda. So, I put brown pop into Google... It returned one single result that was not House of Night related. This was an Urban Dictionary post. If you don't know what Urban Dictionary is, it's just like a place you upload slang terms and your definition for them. Not exactly curated, so you, anyone can upload anything. In um, On January 28th of 2010, user Genghis Green defined brown pop as soda consumed by men in their early to mid 40s, usually reference made by weird high school basketball coaches referring to brown pop as detrimental to an athlete's health. There was also, this also popped up in a question on some House of Night form asking, wait, what's brown pop supposed to be exactly? A lot of people thought it was root beer for some reason. I don't know why. Other people just said, hey, it's any kind of soda. The only other thing I found was PC Cast herself asking answering a question about, hey, what's up with brown pop? My most reasonable summation here, because of the Urban Dictionary post and the fact that other people apparently have been known to use this, is that this is some kind of extremely regional way to refer to soda somewhere in the U.S. wherever PCCast is from. Perhaps her generation referred to all sodas as brown pop or something like that.
1: Well, I, I mean, from my understanding, yeah, it's a regional idiom from the Midwest in reference to anything that's like cola, usually. Cola is typically yeah. what brown pop is. And I is. tried
0: to specifically search for like, hey, is this Midwestern only or like what region would this before? And I still kept only getting the Urban Dictionary post huh. and House of Night stuff. Weird, huh? I'm guessing it's just one of those things that didn't really cross over out out of the region too much yeah, somehow. Yeah, I
1: don't know because
0: right. because it's it's too general and sounds gross for what Soda is. it sort of is kind of gross now actually, uh, yeah. but like.
1: Uh, so I also didn't find anything for crabs a human sacrifice. Uh, so I think everything
0: <laughs> that was incorrect in that episode we you know got. Right.
1: No, I mean, well, because most of the time we do a decent job of researching things. We're really only covering the times that we kind of fucking half-assed it. And I guess it's a lot of times, but, like, if you think about how long the show has been around, how many fucking episodes we've done, it's whatever.
0: So it's me again, once more, with Daryl Day Cop Dog Book, which I forgot to put the title on. Uh, It's like Small Town Cop Big City Crimes or something.
1: Yeah, Small Town Cop Big City Crimes, A Man, His Dog, and a Badge.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) You got it. Nailed it. Um, so, some of the questions that got brought up here, if we had, had a discussion about, he lived in Minnesota, and he was talking about, like, cattle farming all the time, and we were, I guess, a little bit doubtful that Minnesota was, like, big cattle territory. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, honestly, it we had... not
1: seem like it. Turns
0: out, Minnesota is the 10th largest cattle-producing state, oh, which, I mean, I don't know how many cattle-producing states there are, but it, you know, number 10 ain't bad, out right. of 50 or whatever. Um, it involves... It, involves about two billion in sales related to cattle or you know beef or what have you. They handle two point four million heads of cattle a year and that's the tenth largest state. So there's a lot of cows. There's a lot of cows, Paris.
1: Yeah that's way more cows than I thought. I wow, fuck me then.
0: There's twenty thousand plus cattle farms in Minnesota. And that's once again the tenth largest state.
1: Wait, twenty thousand farms, not twenty thousand head of cattle. Twenty
0: thousand farms. I, this was an like a U.S. Agriculture Bureau like survey that I read. I was stunned as well. Whoa. I'm not. I, I I rounded it down. It was like twenty one thousand or something.
1: Wow, Minnesota. I mean, so is Minnesota again? like the northern, like cold Texas? Like they're just full I, of cold. I, yes, cows?
0: Minnesota is just <laughs> Texas in the fridge.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh
0: wow! Preserved Texas. <laughs> um. Um. Secondarily, uh, so this is where kind of where I got interested, where I find some fun stuff to read. Um. There was another thing where we talked. I guess we made a joke about drug-sniffing dogs getting addicted to cocaine because they sniffed it a lot. And I think even, Ter- like, Terry himself made a reference to, like, I think Major has accidentally sniffed cocaine once or something is what happened. Well,
1: he said, yeah, they were doing a, a raid on a house, or they were, like, investigating... Yeah, they were doing a raid on a house. He was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure Major actually kind of got addicted to cocaine because he was always, like, really excited to look for it again. And we were <laughs> like, oh, no, your dog got addicted to coke.
0: Yeah, so I, I looked up, hey, is it possible... For you know, animals to get addicted to certain substances or cocaine, and the answer is like probably yeah, but there's a lot of research backing this up with a lot of weird trials, let me tell you. Oh, no. So, I pulled up this article here that describes a wide variety of uh effects of addiction in animals. One of them was getting a number of rats and injecting them with morphine or heroin on a regular basis for oh, 20 days. That's so sad. You then provide them with a lever that allows them to self-inject the no! drug. Oh God! No. And guess what? They learned how to self-inject, and they kept taking doses, and they would behave with symptoms similar to withdrawal upon taking away the doses. Wait, but
1: did they did any of them die?
0: um it didn't this article did not go into that and i didn't bother to oh god you
1: know what's so sad thinking about little little the animals being junkie rats oh god it's so sad
0: yeah scientists are uh, fucked up because in the next experiment oh, was a researchers in australia deciding to see what would happen if they fed cocaine to bees <laughs> they just <laughs> that's how this article phrases it they're like yo what would happen if we coked the bees up
1: i feel like okay This is what... Alright, so part of the reason crazy shit like this happens is because there are too many grad students and doctoral students desperately trying to secure um, grants and, like, get accepted into uh, programs that will fund their studies. And they're like, alright, what fucking crazy thing can we do? And yeah, this is definitely like, what would happen if we, like coke to bees, and and you know somewhere they were like, yeah, that's actually the most original proposal. You get you get the grant, and they're like, yeah. So this somewhere and, I- and then they're like, oh fuck, we actually have to give coke to bees now.
0: Also, you had to get the coke. And yeah. you had to, like <laughs> like you had to go yeah, well, get it with the science grant money, right? Yeah. Like, All right, what do you need for the coke? Like four k more than that, please. <laughs> well, I'll promise we'll give it all to the bees. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, turns out uh, when you give cocaine to bees, uh, they tend to exaggerate how much nectar is in nearby flowers. They remember and can, like, provide accurate examples to the other bees of where the flower is, but they way over-exaggerate how much nectar is on that flower and available.
1: Oh, my God. that's hilarious.
0: Um, In addition to that, um, they definitely suffer from some withdrawal symptoms because apparently, normally, bees can tell the difference between vanilla and lemon really easily it's like something that they can tell the difference between and it's like a measurable thing with bees except if they're suffering from coke withdrawal and then they really don't give a shit (laughs) in addition to this you have stuff like you know horses like to get high on loco weed which is just something you can graze on right there goats love to lick a narcotic lichen that grows on rocks in the canadian rockies In 2010, there was a paper that reported the effects of crystal meth on snail brains. Oh, God! So we're just giving any drug to any animal.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Again, it's because there's too many people applying for research grants. The madness must end.
0: Um, so, basically, a lot of snails were, give, uh, were trained on a habitual task. Some snails were, were in meth-laced water during the training, and others were in ordinary water. The methed-up snails learned tasks more quickly than those in non-meth-laced water. So, a net positive for the snails.
1: <laughs> Chris, I did not expect you to have such a funny entry today.
0: But no, but finally, (laughs) but finally, the last one that's the real crowning achievement. I can't
1: even take a sip of my water right now.
0: This is the final uh, experiment here. Sheep have been given methamphetamine to see whether a taser could be used to bring down a human who was high on meth. So they would meth up the sheep and then taser them to see if they still stood up. Sounds like some real fucking crazy science you guys got going on. Jesus
1: Christ. I hate this world. Humans are a fucking plague. Speaking
0: of humans being a plague, there was a Quora question about this as well. And I decided to dug, dig into the answers there. Um, someone asked, um, can my dog get addicted to drugs? User Josh Ma- Manson, drug addict, 20 years dirty, is how he put himself. He, he, This is his username on Quora. Excellent. Said, yeah, pets can get addicted to drugs very easily. I have had cats that were completely addicted to meth. So stop giving your fucking animals meth, whether it's for your own druggy reasons or if you're a crazy scientist.
1: Yeah, please stop. <laughs>
0: Turn look, we all know meth can make you methed out. Turns out it works on all animals like that. And finally, after that whole series of questions, it was also the question of we got into a disagreement about if a dog barked at a certain race of people, is it the dog that's racist or is it the owner? Whose behavior it is mirroring, and indeed there was a psychology today article about this which has a very questionable photo at the top that I showed Paris earlier. Mm. <laughs> you can google just google can Google can dogs be racist and click on the psychology today link yeah, and you'll see it't anyway, Paris, you are correct dogs will socially mirror their owners. There was an experiment done basically where they set a bunch of dogs up with their owners and they instructed the owners to react in certain ways neutral, positive, or negative, and pretty much in. Almost all cases, the dog would generally look to the owner first before reacting. So they are indeed picking up on your subtle cues. So, um, if your dog is skittish around a certain type of folk, it's probably because you're skittish around a certain type of folk.
1: So, you're racist and not the dog. Congratulations.
0: This also counts for, like, women who are nervous around men. Right, Like, it totally works that same way, too. Okay, well, that's it for Small Town Dog Cop Book.
1: All right. Actually, for the next two, we have nothing. So, A Specters Haunting Texas and Zarsor's Bane. That, uh, that, was yeah. that was just good reading. that was
0: just that yeah. was that was the golden age of reading for us, yeah, where, really we, where we did some really cool sci-fi stuff. I love those books.
1: Um, so the next one is me, uh, episode forty-seven, Growing Around Party Panic by John Enter. So, um, one of our primary so we had, I had three things that I, that I picked out in this one. Um, and we discussed, like, what children really thrive in a world like this as painted by Enter in the book. And the in the book, he, he has this a world that is totally run by kids where they're in control and the adults kind of go to school and are subservient to the children. And the children are, like, riding ponies and, like, have stuffed animal tickets at the theater and, like, their own, like, Pokemon card money and, like, they're eating candy all the time all the time, forever. There's chocolate fountains everywhere. It's just, like, really chaotic and um, according to according to science, children would definitely not thrive in a world like that. Um, many studies have linked chaotic households and chaotic environments, so this means, like, disorganized and lacking structure, instability, um, and environments that include high levels of ambient stimulation. They've linked all of that to poor sociability, poor language development, and poor rates of literacy. So, it would definitely be a nightmare world, even for the kids. Um, the other thing we talked about is we were kind of speculative about, like, would children really want sweets all the time? Because in the book, that was it. Like, vegetables were, like, frowned upon and evil or whatever. And honestly... Got in trouble
0: for, like, a cucumber or something. Oh, right? uh,
1: I think it was a jar of carrots, yeah. <laughs> a glass jar of carrots, which I still think yeah. is weird. <laughs> anyway. Um, and And so this is one of those, like... No, but, so, no, children probably, children don't want sweets all the time, but children are more disposed to like sweets and salts as well, since they need extra calories to develop, and traditionally, like, evolutionarily speaking, things heavy in sugar and salt were usually, like, heavy in calories, and, you know, for most of human history that, you know, right now we live in an age of convenience, but for most of human history, things high in salt and sugar were things high in calories and they were prized and so that's why your body always wants those things because it's like oh no we're gonna fucking die man and you're like nah dude we're in a different time and your body's like nah man and it's really hard to break your body all of
0: the sour patch ice cream yeah
1: (laughs) yes yes exactly so like genetically your body is predisposed to those things and children even more so because children are growing rapidly um when they're small, and so, therefore, they desire those things more than adults. Um, their taste receptors are also different than those of adults. Uh, they are more sensitive to bitter flavors and more receptive to things that are very sugary and very salty. So, that's why kids do kind of tend toward more junk food, like, things that are kind of on the extreme in terms of flavor. Um, but that being said, like, their just mod- they're in. Dis- so, yes, they do like extremes, but, like, that also goes for salty stuff. So it wouldn't be a world full of candy. It would be like a world full of candy and also pizza and chicken fingers and like, you know, french fries or whatever. I was
0: surprised that wasn't part of the deal too. Like why wouldn't like, even kids like a good deal of variety here and there.
1: Yeah, and that was my whole point is like, sure, I'm sure that like broccoli wouldn't be the like big thing, but yeah, a variety of of savory and sweet food would make way more sense. Uh, Anyway, so my last, the last thing is actually, um, I found out, that there is actually a theme park that already exists, much like the world in this book. Oh my god! And it looks fucking cool as hell. And I wish that I had gone really? to it as a child. <laughs> yes, um, it's called like. Uh, hang on, let me let me open it because I, I don't remember the name of the, the name of the park. But it's in New Mexico, and there are actually iterations of it in several locations over the world. Uh, I think there's one in Istanbul. There's one uh, in a few other countries. Uh, I'm sorry. There's some. Uh, so, Istanbul, Mumbai, Kuala Lumpur, and Tokyo. It's called KidZania. Uh, it's been open for 15 years. So, instead of giving kids rides and stuff, they get to, uh, they get to take on, like, grown-up roles in a, a fully realized and scaled-down kid world. And it sounds fucking cool. There's a bank, and, like, if you deposit, like, let's say you're, like, in the Tokyo one, you can deposit kid money in the bank there and withdraw those funds in, like, the one in Kuala Lumpur. Oh, shit. Yeah. They have, like, their own little, um, like, economic system. And you can... So, upon entering the world, you get, like, a check of 50 kid monies. I forget what the currency is called. Um, it does say it in here, but I don't remember. Uh. Kidzos they get fifty kidsos, as, <laughs> and and they can choose. So they get fifty dollars, and it's like, all right, what are you gonna do with this? So what they can do is they can earn more money and earn a salary by taking on jobs. So they can like be a fake car mechanic or like put out fake fires with real water. Like they can do all this stuff. And I was like, this no, is so
0: real shit on fire. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I- kid, okay, get in there. You wanna earn those kidsos or what? <laughs>
1: Um, And they can drive and rent cars. They have electric vehicles that go around, like, a a go-kart track, basically. Um, It has its own language. Um, There's, like, a whole thing. That's kind of astonishing. Dude, it sounds so fucking cool. And I'm just like, holy shit, why didn't I fucking know this? Well, I guess it started 15 years ago. I would have been too old. Oh, I would have been too old. No! (laughs) No! (laughs) Because <laughs> you can only be the ages of four uh, to fourteen, uh, and I was fifteen. Just yeah, shit. <laughs> it sounds so fucking cool. Um, yeah, that sounds right as shit. Yeah, like th- and see what I mean. Like this is a better vision of the world, I think, than than what the book um I guess posits. Mister Enter
0: should have done a theme park instead of yeah. So show. <laughs> so
1: Kid Zania, look it up. Sounds really cool. Um, I haven't looked at any pictures yet, but yeah. So. I, I, so I guess by bringing this up, all, all I mean to do is say that like it is possible to kind of have a concept like this and have it not be a total fucking dystopian hellscape.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm up next with another <laughs> world that's not human based. What's well, kids are humans? Well, you, ah, you know, <laughs> not not all the way yet, I guess, but. They count.
1: They're starter humans. Y- yes,
0: yeah. appetizer humans. I mean,
1: you know, like you know, like get the little sea monkeys in the mail. That's yeah. How kids come, right? Yeah. It's like a powdered substance that you have to. I put I went in to water. Catholic
0: school. That's what they told me. You have like Jesus <laughs> sends you kids in the mail. When mom and daddy love each other very much. They ask Jesus, and he sends them a kid in a the package.
1: <laughs> they send it off. Parent box tops in to yes. Jesus.
0: <laughs> if you didn't sin, you can get the, your own kid.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. So anyway. I had Warrior Cats, or Into the Wild, oh, oh, oh. All right. with, of the Warrior Cats series, um, and we, uh, you, this wasn't really a thing we got wrong, but I thought it was just something that deserved, like, extra clarification, because mm. I was unsure, or I sounded unsure, but in the episode, we talked about, uh, do, would cats even live in clans like this, and generally, you actually brought this up in the episode, too, generally no, and you were exactly right, lions are pretty much the only cats that live in prides. Everyone else, they're all pretty solitary. Sometimes you will have colonies of related females with their kids that kind of live in close proximity. But even they tend to be kind of solitary in general. So in this case, this isn't even a thing you got wrong. It was just a thing that, like I said, I thought deserved clarification And that, yeah, most cats are totally solitary. And they would probably fucking hate to live in a clan together. Yeah. They wouldn't like that. There would be too much competition. They wouldn't like it. Right. Um, similarly there was another discussion where we got into a disagreement about whether the rat clan or group was actually considered a clan of rats. There was a group of rats that attacked all the cats oh, yeah. when they were going up to the magic moonstone
1: I remember that. or what
0: have you. And we got into a little discussion about what, so those rats are their own clan too. Why don't we hear about like that clan or anything? And you're like, no, that's just a group of rats. And I was like, but w- that doesn't make any sense because if the cats are in a group and that's a clan, why, why isn't the rat group a clan? So I went, I did some digging into warrior cat lore. and turns out they don't bother with any fucking lore outside the cats themselves. So, although in one book there is a rat leader who gets all the rats together to pull specific attacks as in an organized crew, as in a clan, <laughs> it is, they've, they've, no one ever brought it up as a clan. It's just a group of rats with a leader. Huh. So there's technically no rat clans, I guess.
1: Well, I think with
0: proper like cat clan mythologies and shit is the is the defining difference here. Cats in that bo- those books have a religion, everyone else is secular.
1: Well, yeah, I think and I I get the sense that it's because these in these books they kind of elevate cats kind of like how people are elevated in traditional stories where they're like, "Oh, this is a special species." And like no other animals are like as smart as these guys. But like Rats are really fucking smart, so I think if any animal was going to have coordinated clans with, like, a structure and a religion, it would probably be the rats, to be fair.
0: They would be far more likely than the cats <laughs> themselves, <laughs> in fact, just going based on... Um... Actually,
1: no, I take that back. Crows.
0: True. Crows are scary in groups. Yes. Even individually. You can give them a puzzle box and they'll, like, summon Hellraiser, probably. I don't...
1: No, they'll build a tool and solve it and then teach you how to do it and then yell at you for fucking making it dumb. They'll be like, no, this is easier, and you're like, ah... <laughs> I'm sorry, crow. Yeah. Please
0: crow. don't peck me to death. <laughs> all right, that's all I had for that one.
1: All right. Um so episode 49, The Beginner's Guide to Sex in the Afterlife. Um I had a couple of things, so we got into a mild discussion about like We didn't understand why when they were talking about the astral plane in the book, they were referencing physical places. And Chris made a joke about how it was like, oh, it's just like a viewfinder, like glasses you put on, you know. And so I discovered that apparently... There is, it's just a real mixed bag out there about Uh, what people believe in terms of, yeah, right, in terms of, like, what the astral plane actually is. Like, I didn't realize there was this much controversy about it, because I don't believe in such things, and I just had no idea. So, apparently, like, some people think that the, uh, kind of like what you were saying, where, you know, it's just, like, a veil over the physical world. Like, if you're in the astral plane, you can see Earth and, like, whatever, um... A lot of other people, though, think that it's just a—it's a totally different plane of existence, and it's not like a—it's not a space you can go to have like omnipotence over Earth. Uh, That's actually, I feel like, the more predominant view. But a lot of people in the Western world seem to have that view, where it's like, oh, it's like you go up there and can spy on the Earth, but that's not what most people think. So, but I don't know. It's a little bit of column A and column B. It's all a fucking yeah. People have various beliefs about it. Um. Shit! Sorry, I lost my place. Um, secondly, I just want to talk about the whole history of like yonic and phallic imagery at like ones and zeros, haha, etc. I mean, to be fair to the author, like much of history is full of phallic and yonic imagery, and by that I mean like dicks and vaginas have been symbols across eons, you know, f- for various things. It's it's one of the basic building blocks of culture. Uh, in fact, one of the earliest. Um, consistent pieces of imagery like and sorry one of the earliest consistent like pieces of art is uh of a woman so um damn it what the hell is it called fertility Ugh. yeah the fertility idol um from a valley shit i in can't this remember valley. uh well i mean it's, it's found like all yeah. over the world but anyway i can't think of the name of it uh which is shameful considering my educational background venus but, or something yes from- the venus figure thank yeah. you um And and, I mean, so basically, yes, these symbols have been used at length to help humanity understand the world and relationships between themselves and other creatures and the non-human environment. However, this guy definitely took these symbols to fucking new lows and he really just stretched their possible meanings and usefulness to the point of rendering them hollow. And that was why I really didn't, that's why I think we both didn't like the book and found issue, took issue with his use of the terms. I mean, we're not saying that you know, there's no value in those in that sort of thinking in a way, but it was just really skewed and just used for used for ill in this book, I think.
0: Yeah, If, for, if you don't have the context, or for some reason you haven't listened to that episode, the whole thing with ones and zeros was that one of the dick, zero pussy, you put the one on the zero. That, that was his line of thought on that. It had something to do with computer programs, which was, like, the absurd yeah. part.
1: Yeah, he was like, oh, man, computer programs are all ones and zeros. And it's like, yeah, they're ones and zeros, but, like...
0: But they don't go into each other. Yeah, they're not
1: They're not ones and zeros fucking each other. Like, that's... Anyway. <laughs> they're
0: very separate, in fact.
1: Yeah, right. Anyway.
0: Um, so next up for me was a crown jewel of Terrible Book Club history, The Eclipse of Darkness Unveiling the Unseen World, Acts 1 through 3, full version by Robert Cezagne. Um and listen there wasn 't much here to get wrong, I would say, because Mr. Cesani was on a different level entirely of existence, so maybe he 's right in his own he 's whatever he 's seeing there um but there were two little points well, the first one I actually want to put up is the second one I had listed here is I want to try to, f- to find once and for all is evil bronick a word evil bronic. Evil bronick is fucking not if you put it into google you don 't even get any results. And then I tried to, like, kind of put quotes around it, and I just got the, un, you know, the unseen world. I just got references to this book. And Robert his like, IMDB page. Apparently, he oh, did almost boy. get production started on a movie version of this. Some Russian actress was a part of it for, like, I don't know. What? And, like, that was it. I think he, like, almost hired an actress, and then she realized what was happening. She was like, no, thanks. Wow. The other thing is that the main character's name was mm-hmm. Sam Sennett. And we thought that's like sounds like a, a name an alien would make up when they got cornered. They're like, "Uh, Sam, uh, uh Senate, <laughs> yeah, right there." Yeah, and the I kid. went digging and I thought, "Hey, is Senate a real surname, a last name?" I did find on ancestry.com they claim to have access to records of like 18k records of people with the surname Senate. However, I could not access that without applying for, like, a pro account with Ancestry.com. Not going to fucking do that, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not going to put your patron money towards that one. They claim to have a bunch of records of people with the last name Senate, and they let me see that 24% of those people were farmers. That's... That's... The-
1: <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah, I could, I could see it being a last name, but probably just uncommon. There's not sure. any...
0: There's not any more. They all died out. Uh, I guess there's there's none anymore I don't know something happened to those senates
1: <laughs>
0: so the, the great unsenating <laughs>
1: uh all right the next one was episode 51 the crucible with the antiques freaks and once again they they freaked about their antiques and they were right about it all so I just there's nothing of correct in that one
0: <laughs> just constant antiques freaks Uh, Pat's on the back here. Yeah. Great job, guys. So next up for me was Super Mario Bros. 3 Brick by Brick by Bob Chipman, uh, notable YouTube creator and, you know, content creator with lots of patrons. Yeah. Um, We didn't like this one because it was just a text Let's Play, which was horrifyingly boring to read. (laughs) Um, Two points of contention. Another one that, once again, that you clarified in the episode that I just kind of double-checked in case was your Questioning of the use of iconoclast to describe Shigeru Miyamoto. And indeed, an iconoclast is someone that wants to like overthrow old institutions or shake things up a lot. And that's not what Miyamoto was doing at Nintendo. When he got brought on, he specifically was brought on by the president to work on video game shit. And in fact, when his first thing kind of went under and almost like put the whole company under, the, the CEO was still like, now nah, we're still going to invest in video games. So, he was, Shigeru was not shaking anything up.
1: I think, and I think he was just trying to say that he was the way he was making games was different from other people. But yeah, I don't think he was trying to like overturn anything. I think he was just like, I have new ideas and new ways to do things. And yeah, to me, that's not an iconoclast. That's just uh, somebody who is who has a lot of ingenuity and yeah. you know is very creative, right? Which is not an iconoclast. Yeah.
0: The second point here. Um which one we didn't actually we argued about a little bit if it was possible. His claim that he burned three thousand to thirty five hundred calories in like a day or a single workout. In session. a
1: single workout, not yeah. a day. So that that's that's even more specious.
0: Yeah, so in, in in that case, then yes indeed this is practically it's it can happen. But You would have to be, like, we kind of guessed that maybe he was about 300 pounds. We have no reason to, it's pure speculation. But you would have to be that heavy to burn 3,000 calories in, like, two and a half hours. A normal person, like, average weight, average health, um, doing intense cardio for an hour, like, swimming, running, biking, hiking, these are all going to burn about 800 calories an hour. So to burn 3,000 calories in one workout session, you would have to be doing constant cardio for four hours straight.
1: I actually think 800 is even a high estimate. To be fair, um, because as a person who exercises and is trying to be less fat, I, I keep track but of But this her. is
0: like deliberately intense cardio, like boxing yeah. sessions.
1: Yeah, maybe if you were like 200 pounds and you were doing something really intense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Like a large man.
0: The only plausible way this could happen is if you did like a 1,000 calorie burning workout and you didn't eat that day. So you didn't take calories in, but you burned your rest rate of calories, which is about 2,000, you know, yeah. fifteen hundred, two thousand a day, right, right. roughly. So that's the only way that could conceivably happen. I just – Bob, you you probably didn't burn 3,000 calories in one session unless you're like the best weight loss person ever – to ever exist that like on their first couple tries or first couple months out they decided to go for four hours straight and I can't imagine that happening because I can barely do a half an hour uh,
1: yeah I don't, I don't know I mean it's I guess it's possible there are two possibilities here right that he weighs more than we assumed which we were we were assuming 300 pounds because he was saying that he was pretty overweight at the time um, and who knows he could have been he could have he could have been a short guy and really only been like 220 or 250 um, or he could have been much heavier than we imagine right Um or yeah maybe he was just maybe he was just walking on a treadmill for like 6 hours or something but anyway i mean of course these things are possible but it did it still sticks out to me as like a sore spot in the book where i'm like i don't know
0: it it's very unreasonable to think it really did happen if you did it bob then fucking amazing and you wouldn't like if you think if you're listening to this somehow and you're like they, i i fucking did that these liars then put that on your own like you know you did it
1: yeah yeah, like ultimately, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. We just point. We yeah. just wanted to point out.
0: Anyway, get ready for the big meal. This is the <laughs> okay. like after course after course after course of appetizers. Here's the big old heaping plate of potatoes.
1: Yeah, yeah, so, so we're about an hour in, and the next entire hour is going to be about my Zappa the wolfhound. <laughs> I'm not joking. I have so many notes, and this is because Ray Domkovitz, the author found out about the episode well after we published it, and left us a bunch of comments on Facebook. Uh, he was actually, I, I will say, M- Dongvitz was pretty cool. Uh, Mostly nice. Yeah, I think, I think, um, he was, no, he was pretty nice about it. Um, I think things got a little snippy later on, but that's my personal Well, thing. I think he, he, at first it was very cool. He said, "Oh, I'm really conservative, my my, my wife is really liberal, but we had a re- so we had a really good time listening to the episode." I think, you know, and I was like, "Yeah, great man, whatever." And I was like, he was like, "Yeah, I think you got guys got a lot of things wrong." Though. And I was like, "Yeah, it's it's cool, man. Just like tell us what it was." And then he left us this like huge screed of all the things that he thought we were wrong about. And I was like, "Uh-oh." But then he later made another post where he was like, oh, uh, it's all cool though." I think he realized that he kind of came across a little snippy, but I mean, Whatever, dude. Uh, I'm actually really glad he reached out to us yes, because he too. clarified a bunch of shit and, I was, and he pointed out a bunch of things that we were wrong about and I really appreciated that because this was just one of those ones where we were short on time and just didn't do a lot of research so naturally there were a lot of things we fucked up. Um, and yeah, he, he helped clarify some things that Um, weren't research points, but were specific to the book, which we were confused about. So thanks, Ray. Thanks for being a cool guy and reaching out to us. Um, cheers. Yeah. We're going to talk about all the shit we were wrong about. So if you're listening to this again, hello, (laughs) um, strap in. Oh boy. All right. (laughs) So this isn't really, I tried to organize this, but there's just too much. I'm going to try to go as fast as I can because there is a lot of content and I don't want to take up a ton of time. So are the claims in this book about Salukis true? There are many claims made in the book about Salukis. So, uh, again, these are just, I'm just going to rattle these off. So, um, is it unique to Salukis that they um, are able to pull all four of their legs off the ground when they're running? So, while it is true that Salukis do have, um, they do have this ability, it's called a double suspension gait. Wow. Um other dogs like sighthounds such as the greyhound also have this and additionally most dogs can run like this but of course they sacrifice efficiency because they're not built quite like salukis so like the advantage is that salukis have a body as such that when they when they run like this and they run fast and, and they use their, this double suspension gait um they don't sacrifice any speed or efficiency. So um, Salukis are indeed the fastest dog over long distances with the Greyhound kind of, some people think the Greyhound is faster over shorter distances, but like it's um, it's debated, it's hot, hot debate. Uh, but yeah, Salukis are the fastest dog over long distances and they do have a double suspension gait, but again, this isn't like, it's not totally unique to Salukis. The unique thing is that they're able to do it and not sacrifice any of their speed or efficiency. Um, did St. Augustine own a Saluki? Uh, I couldn't find anything about him owning any pets, so, like, probably not, but who knows? Uh, there, there were also some notes in the book about how Salukis were kind of, like, totally natural and not affected by, like, human, uh, humans breeding them and things like that, and it's not really true, um, especially in the last couple centuries. They've definitely been bred more conventionally by humans, and, and even over the course of history... Because dogs like Salukis have lived with humans, they, even if humans aren't um, intentionally breeding them, right, like, like, Lukey was in the book, even if they're not, like, finding the right sire and, you know, and breeding them and for certain traits, like, humans are still influencing the evolution of the breed because if they're keeping them as pets or working dogs, they're selecting the dogs that have the traits that they like more, Right. You know, so humans are influencing the breed, whether it's super intentional or not. And I and I think to say otherwise is, kind of, you know, it's it's skirting towards a falsehood. Um, can Salukis beat a human or a horse in a race? Absolutely. Apparently, they can beat any mammal in a land race of three miles. Damn. Yeah, they're fucking fast Damn. as hell. Yeah, look at that. Um, like cheetahs too. I mean, a cheetah's a mammal, so I'm going to say yes. Well, I know. I probably should have specifically researched the cheetah question, but I'm going to say probably, yeah. Um, and there there were also claims in the book about, like, Salukis are totally separate and special and unlike any other dog. And so, like, sort of, um, it's kind of a detailed answer. So, I, And again, I'm not a geneticist, but I read a couple of studies where scientists... Um, kind of ran sequences on dog dna and they kind of mapped out where certain dogs kind of lay in an evolutionary sense and there are a couple of basal breeds uh so they're considered like the ancient breeds and they're considered basal because they have less mixed dna so these are dogs these are like the most um I don't know, undiluted of, of dogs. We have the Basenji, the shar the Saluki, Akita, finished bits, and the Eurasia, which I've actually never heard of. Um, so this was... There were a couple of analyses done in the last few years, um, and they all show pretty similar findings, with the Basenji actually being the most distinct of the DNA sam- DNA samples, with Salukis at, like, a pretty close second. So, like, yeah, they are, they are pretty different, but there are other dogs as well that are quite different. So I... It's one of those yes and kind of things where it's like, yeah, they are different, but, like, there are other dogs that could kind of, you know, (laughs) are also considered pretty different in their genetic makeup and separate from kind of the line of most of the the Central Europe and Asian breeds. I mean, just
0: think of how many different kinds of dogs there are. There's there's so many shapes and sizes and snout shapes and all these.
1: Well, no, 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 Chris, this is slightly different. So these dogs are all... uh, like if you were to look at a, um, like imagine like I'm sure you've all seen like a, a language tree or like a genetics tree, right? So these are like you further have,
0: up the branch. Here.
1: Yeah, so these are like further up the branch, and then all other weird dog breeds are like kind of on, kind of all in a group together in a cluster. They're like more closely related mm, and more similar. Whereas these ant, these kind of ancient dog breeds, um, have less mixed DNA, so they did. This suggests that they arose separately and and didn't didn't crossbreed with others. Okay. So other types of sighthounds like uh greyhounds or um I'm trying God, I'm forgetting. Here, no, 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 those aren't sighthounds. Oh. I'm saying so Salukis are actually quite different from other sighthounds because they're they have this other thing, but on the other side of that there are these other dogs who also kind of have a similar, um, like specialness to their DNA. So um. All right, man. This was a fun one. So, when we read this book, we thought the book actually had like four people responsible for it. We had Ray Donkovitz, who was listed as the author, but who seemed to be more of like a compiler, who kind of like added a fantastical element to the story. And we thought that um, Makepeace and his daughter, um, had compiled these notes and really believed in like Luki as this mystical ancient woman and then we thought um uh there was a woman who was an editor like i, was, I think her name was like mariah Steele or yeah. something like she had a very like bond villain name um turns out so that the editor woman was real but she didn't actually edit the story for content she just did basic kind of i guess she must have done like grammar or syntax editing and okay. stuff um but ray Domkovitz made up everything else the whole thing was fantasy so like that was something we didn't understand and the text didn't make clear. It really seemed like those people were real. And I, I don't know if that was a good or a bad thing, but we were really confused about that. And I and I honestly think that if we had known that if it was all fantasy at the get-go, it would have made a difference in how we perceived yes, the book. Absolutely. Yeah. So um so thanks for clearing that up. Ray actually cleared that up for us in a comment. Um he ma- he made a bunch of comments on our Facebook. You can go check them out. They're still there. They're uh on the post about the original episode so you may have to do some searching but they're there if you want to see um so yeah so this is actually all um a fiction which makes a hell of a lot more sense uh you know like it makes a lot more sense as a piece of historical fiction um so anyway that was that oh the next one can humans nurse dogs Fuck yeah, humans can nurse dogs. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Actually, any mammal can nurse another mammal. That blew my fucking mind. I did not. Weirdos, think... don't start <laughs> some
0: shit. all right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I certainly don't know um, how common it is, but it is possible if you're in uh, if you're in dire situation. I... Yeah, do it, man. <laughs> Suck
0: that nip. I guess. Just... Well,
1: I mean, of course, like you have to have a woman who is lactating, so it's not like you know it. So. If you've never had a child before, it's unlikely that you're going to see a puppy and start lactating. But if you have had a child, I know people who have had children and they actually they they actually the body does actually start responding if they're like holding a small child or like a puppy or something. So,
0: yeah, interesting. You didn't see this listeners, but my eyes went pretty wide yeah, right
1: there. Yeah, so I mean, I still think it's it Again, like if you're in an extreme circumstance, and I think, and I think in the case in the book there was an extreme circumstance, so like maybe we were assholes about it. It just came across as kind of the way it was written too. Like I honestly think that with this book, it was less the subject matter; it wasn't so much the content. I think that the content actually could have been turned into something cool if the writing was better. Like the writing just wasn't great. Like the dialogue was weird. People didn't talk like people. He didn't do a great job describing things. Like I remember when I was re-listening to the episode, Chris kept pointing out how it was like the book was just like. And then she went here, and then she sat in a cave for five hundred years, and then this. It was very like a lot of a lot of uh, telling and not showing kind of a thing happening. Yes. Um, and we just we just felt like it needed more depth. But it turns out a lot of the actual facts in the books in the book were, were true, and we were just totally uninformed so yep. fuck us i guess yep. uh, this is
0: probably the way it, the wrongest we've been
1: yeah this is this is definitely the one where we were this is definitely an example of when we really uh were the terrible ones um next we have oh the age-old question this was brought up last episode too, where it's like is using period dialogue racist and you know it's not a perfect science i think we just like to see a more accurate representation of people rather than authors trotting out, like, tropey caricatures because those can come across as racist. Like, and I know that Ray was pretty passionate about saying, like, he wasn't trying, like, he's not racist. It wasn't, that's not what he was going for here. He was just trying to portray, um, in the second part of the book, like, it takes place during a time where, um, there are some ex-slave characters around, and just the way that they talk, like, Chris said that it did see, it did did come across as, like, an old racist cartoon, and I know that that's not what ray meant but i just think the dialogue needed a little care you know and and there are ways to you don't have to add these like presumed uh accents and stuff you can just say the person was a former slave and just write the dialogue as you would anyone else's and then the you know the reader can fill in the blanks if they want to i mean at least then you're not you're you're avoiding the po- the potential of offending people and the potential of coming across as racist even if you don't mean to. Um, so yeah, that was that was my my part in that.
0: Yeah, and again that this isn't like a, there's a definite line, I think. It's just that the way it was done here, it was like it was turned up the knob on it was turned up all the way. Yeah. You could have backed off just a hair or two notches is really what it felt like for me.
1: Um, so related, does the math work out in the book that ex-slaves were, or could have still been alive when part two of the book happens? And yeah, I think it does because the man who was an ex-slave was pretty old. I think he was like in his eighties or nineties. So yes, it would have been possible. Uh, next question was, does Luki Galanzu's name make sense in Sumerian? So turns out our understanding of Sumerian is pretty limited. So it might make sense. I honestly think the author did the best he could here, um, it's really hard to know unless you're a scholar. I so curiously, I do actually know someone who is a scholar of Sumerian and Akkadian cultures, but I couldn't get a hold of him in time for the recording. Um I'll update you all at another time if I get any new info from him, but yeah. It's prob it's probably fine given the yeah. fact that like we don't know enough we about Sumerian. We can't give him shit
0: for being wrong as much as he can give a shit for, you know, you know, being wrong, I think and I...
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's whatever. Yeah. Uh, I remember we were both like, come on, man, why is our menstruation scene?" And and it was just a device to get her to the river to find the dog, which I totally get. But, like, you could have used a variety of reasons to get her to the river. So, like, I don't know why menstruation was the one that was chosen. I mean, I guess it's, it's not like there's anything wrong with it. It just... That's
0: not a bad choice. It's no. a weird choice.
1: Well, and again, if the writing around it had been perhaps more eloquent and less, like... And then she was blading everywhere and had to clean herself up in the river. It was like, ah, maybe you could have said something, and maybe you could have said it in a different way, and it would have been less jarring. Yeah, I think think that's all it was. People hiding under cows (laughs) (laughs) and digging holes to escape the storm. All right, so this was difficult to try to research, and I was unable to find anything. My senses, though, tell me that this makes no sense for a variety of pretty practical reasons. I think that's
0: self-explanatory. Yeah,
1: it doesn't, like, people... I, people at this time i'm sure that yes yeah, storms can be serious sometimes but like you're not going to hide under a cow and you're certainly not going to dig a hole during a fucking rainstorm to hide in so like i that still makes no sense to me
0: i guess if you're really desperate in a storm and you're also starving the cow can provide two needs for you, <laughs> yeah, as we've discovered
1: um teppy <laughs> <laughs> so as funny as that was Diminutives like Tepi and nicknames were common in ancient Egypt, and it does seem like they were actually formed, sort of like this. For example, anyone named Nefertiti were, was sometimes referred to um, as T, and Merenith. It's a
0: shame that it was <laughs>
1: <laughs> And uh, names like Merenith could become Mary. There's no historical record for Imhotep being called Tepi, but it's actually quite possible. So that was pretty cool.
0: <laughs> One day, someone called him Tepi and. Beheaded, just <laughs> lashed to the slave stick immediately, <laughs> reduced to the essential salts. I'm just quoting Niles, though. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what half that episode was, anyway. Uh, the next point was uh, the Pharaoh Joser having dogs with titles and judge ships. I mean, like Joser probably had dogs and even had salukis, given his royal status. But like, I couldn't find anything actually confirming that. And there was definitely there was nothing about. Fancy dogs with fancy titles and, like, judge ships. So I don't think that was true. I think that was just, like, fictional color added by the author, which is fine. We again, just, you know, fun. again, it's fine. It's just the problem in the book is that, like, you could never tell what he was, like, adding his color and what was real because of the way it was written. So next up is the handling of the Lenape. So, of course, like, we don't know what Lenape names were thousands of years ago. But, like, I do think that... The author could have consulted with Lenape people now and that could have yielded names and songs that were more accurate um, since native folks often keep oral histories and that could have filled in these gaps. So he didn't have to name people things like cherry lips or something, which (laughs) I just or red cherry or whatever, which I just feel like I feel like you're really just pulling on. Native American tropes Which is kind of messed up And I really just think That he could have reached out To the Lenape people And gotten some More accurate names And songs I think that could have been An easy solution to that Um We were Shocked to see to read a scene where the Salukis were riding on camels down a mountain. Turns out, Salukis fucking ride camels Are with you people. fucking kidding me? No, it's awesome. <laughs> I was you so excited. Kidding me. I was like, fuck, yeah, dogs riding camels, this is amazing. I was like, I love this. I'm happy to be
0: wrong. Yeah, in this yes, case. yeah,
1: with a lot of these I was happy to be wrong. That's like That's fucking cool. I don't know about them riding camels, like, down a mountain. I'm not sure because they're desert animals. Not really sure if that's a thing. But, yeah, they fucking rode camels with humans. Damn. Cool as hell. These are some cool-ass dogs. Yeah. Um. So the the great gladius versus small Roman blade debate.
0: Another thunder versus lightning. thing. Yeah,
1: yeah. So so the use of the phrase in the text, quote small Roman blade, end quote, over and over again made me think of a gladius, since that's the most common Roman blade that people tend to reference in in literary works apparently it's the smaller
0: than a long sword
1: and it's smaller than a long sword so like apparently the author actually intended it to be a much smaller knife that could like fit in a purse or bag or be you know like hidden kind of in a fold of of clothing in this case it would probably be like be more likely to be a pugio or perhaps something even more dainty and i think here again the writing could have been more straightforward by simply naming the blade as intended yeah. like like just call it a pugio or call it you know another tinier roman blade like it, it, yeah so small roman blade again
0: or perhaps giving us a reference for exactly how small it is just like how it fits in her hand or something yeah you to call it that because there was no it, when you say small it could be small like that it could be small like you know
1: yeah yeah so again just a little more description would have helped us uh uncover exactly what that was oh the next oh my last finally at my last point briny legs um so i mentioned in the original episode that um, I actually I use uh, salt and sugar-based scrubs for my own skin care, and it's definitely a real thing. Um, I think that our hang-up here was just that there were people sitting with their legs in buckets of brine, which just <laughs> seemed a little odd. I mean, maybe that was, like, the style of the time <laughs> in Hippo, like, where they were during that scene, but...
0: Tied onion on your belt
1: at the same time. Yeah, yeah, tying, <laughs> tied onions to their belts and they stuck their legs in brine. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, scrubbing your legs in with uh, with sea salt is totally right it's a great exfoliant it's a it's a pretty harsh one um sugar is slightly lighter it's actually what I use on my face, so like totally I, I just again, yeah, I was just like I don't know if sitting in buckets of bread is kind of weird, like I feel like you would be scrubbing your leg with it legs for- um but you know overall, yeah, that was fine um so i'm i'm actually i'm sure that there were other things that Ray pointed out, but I only had so much time. Uh, we ran over a lot of things there, and again, if you're curious, you can go read his comment and see what we got wrong. But I, I think I got all the major ones. Yeah, I, think, I think I think we're good. I read over
0: that comment too, and that you pretty much got all
1: of it. Woohoo! We made it through Mazeppa. That's so we're, we're not um, too far off from the end here. All right, Chris I'm is up, up next, next
0: here with uh, 101 Weapons for Women. Woo! Which was also another episode where we had uh, some uh, informed opinion from Paul, so he generally had a lot of decent things to say about martial arts and effectiveness of certain techniques, and generally what research I could find on that stuff was sound. Um, The one thing that we had issue with was descriptions of someone piercing skin with a straw? (laughs) Or like through the neck or sometimes even like the heart, something like Mm. that. And we were very incredulous about this, even more incredulous than the magazine pages being able to to slice people. I did a little research on that. Like, yeah, maybe you could get a few nasty paper cuts with a particular magazine swipe or whatever. But the straw through the skin was more unbelievable. And so turns out there's sort of this popular science experiment that you do with like kids or something. You take a potato, raw potato, pretty tough skin. Um, and you take a straw. If you try to stab it with the straw regularly, just like holding it like fist style and you stab it, obviously the straw is going to bend. It's not going to get through the tough skin. Maybe you can get a little bit through. Okay, Turns out, yeah. if you cover the end of the straw with your thumb, it can easily stab through the potato.
1: Are you fucking serious? Like an uncooked potato? Yes. What the fuck? What, yes. are, the, what are the mechanics? What are the physical When you are here? covering
0: the end of the straw with your thumb... When you go to do the stab, the air in the straw has nowhere, it cannot escape through the top, so it becomes compressed. Thus, when you stab it downward, it has less space to go except for to the side, thus strengthening the sides of the straw so it does not give as you push the straw into the potato.
1: I kind of want to get a straw and have you try to stab me right now.
0: Paris, I'm not going to kill you. So (laughs) I couldn't find... I, I searched for, like, people stabbed with straws or, like, straw injuries or something. The only thing I could find was a news article claiming that someone died after they tried to stab a Capri Sun pouch and they hit their brachial artery and, like, (laughs) killed themselves or something. I do not think this article was real. The only source it was on was some website called Empire News. With no sources, no other things, I Googled the name given of the person who died, a Cole York, a 26-year-old from New York, apparently
1: yeah that seems really fake yeah
0: it so i think this was just some kind of weird hey we'll drum up some weird news and get clicks for our ads on this thing so they got my fucking click but there was no other references to any injuries i could find with straw stabbing
1: i love how our our like internet presence has been irreparably damaged by our participation in this show because the amount of bizarre shit that i've had to google Oh, man.
0: Yeah, I was getting caprice on ads for like a day after yeah, that. So. I
1: think, yeah, our internet legacy is destroyed by the Terrible Book Club. So t- turns out
0: maybe a t- potato's pretty tough. You're not going to be getting through bone, but you could maybe get
1: through some skin. I feel like you could superficially get through yeah, a layer to you, a skin. You, I don't think you could stab a heart. I don't no, think you could. you're, not, I, you're no. not getting
0: into the heart most likely. I mean, I don't know what the hardness difference between potato and flesh is, and I don't, I'm not going to run the test. I'm not unethical, so <laughs> I'm not giving meth to sheep or whatever.
1: I mean, I'd let you try to stab me with a straw. I it's fine. I would
0: not want to. Because st- if it works, you would be like, we would have to go to the hospital.
1: Nah, I'd pick some part of my body I don't need.
0: I don't want to hurt you, Paris. <laughs>
1: That's fine. <sighs> All right. Oh, our penultimate discussion, episode fifty-five: The Adventures of Lord Ify Boatrace, Boat Race, however you want to say that. This is a book written by Bruce Dickinson. It was a patron request from Greg. So one of the first questions we had was: Is a laird, the Scottish laird, is that the equivalent of a lord? Chris added a note that said, according to Outlander,
0: yes! So I've been watching Outlander, and they didn't really, it seems like they use Laird and Lord in exchange pretty easily, because sometimes they speak Gaelic, so they'll say Laird or something like that. And other times, so they're the Lord and Lady or Laird and Lady of Brock Turak, this sort of region of or house or something in Scotland. And one, there's a couple times where the main character Jamie is referred to as Lord Brock Turak, so I assume Laird and Lord are interchangeable a little bit.
1: Nope, Outlander fucked up they are not entertaining. at all I could be taking
0: Outlander wrong though maybe they were actually because I think Laird might have only been used to refer to the head of the clan and not Jamie like maybe I misconstrued I didn't hear him being referred to as Laird Brock Turok
1: I also think that that show has caused you considerable trauma and your brain could be addled by it
0: <laughs> I really like the ending of season two actually I really liked oh, I'm glad it. I
1: wasn't like the ending of season one
0: it, it was all time travel and witchy shit it was dope
1: oh all right fair enough I haven't watched it, but Chris has been filling me in on some shit. Some shit
0: burns her husband alive to travel through time. It's rad.
1: Sick. Um, So actually, according to the the rest of the world, um, in the Scottish order of precedence, a laird ranks below a baron and above a gentleman. So it's actually, it's quite a low title. Um, Actually, I feel like uh, Ken from the Antiques Freaks would be the best one to know this because he has his fucking order of fancy dudes on lock uh but yeah and, and like fancy the, dude order <laughs> yeah on lock <laughs> um but yeah i guess different countries fancy dude
0: tier list
1: yeah uh different countries actually have like d- different like schemes for fancy titles but in scotland yeah uh nope laird and lord different things our next question was are hunting animals actually replaced if they're on an estate like lord iffy's then yeah it's not a natural environment, so they actually have to bring in animals, and some of them are specifically bred just to be hunted. Fucking gross. Uh, was this book supposed to be sexy and porn? This was Chris's hill that he wanted to die on.
0: What's the appropriate Iron Maiden song to, like, the trooper, I guess, right? Yeah. It's yeah. fucking porn.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Um so according to Bruce, it was supposed to be a farcical comedy that pointed out the hypocrisy and grotesque of the British upper class. It was not supposed to be porn.
0: Did he specifically say it wasn't supposed to be a turn on
1: Uh I think so, but like the way he phrased okay. it was fucking British as hell, so oh, right, I don't right.
0: know. So I'm assuming that his intention was not to give boner and or correct whatever, whatever you want. Why isn't there a word for lady equivalent of boner?
1: I mean there is i what is it oh oh you mean like anatomically like
0: yes like ready
1: i ugh, i don't can we not can yes we just not for one episode... this is this is the thing we'll be wrong can about we just, for all
0: time can
1: we, can we just <laughs> not talk about fucking in depth for one goddamn episode of this fucking podcast okay
0: <laughs> and that leaves us with the the because we sk- we didn't I didn't find anything in the house of the dark of the night that was just a really good book with some really good referencing and like really
1: uh, it was the house in the dark of the wood yeah, yeah.
0: so that w- that was a really fun story listening yeah, back I realized I gonna... wow I really liked that book when yeah, I read it yeah me too so uh, good job Lair- uh, Laird actually wow, Lair- Laird, Laird? On... wait his name is Laird like a lord no,
1: that's his first name I know but yeah. does that
0: technically mean he's a Laird somewhere and.
1: No, I think it's just, I don't know. I think it's just his name. But he actually, uh, when we posted that we actually didn't hate it, he was like, oh, I'm so glad you guys didn't hate it. That's great. And I was like, yeah, man, thanks. And he was like, really cool.
0: <laughs> I hope he actually listened to the episode. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. Probably
1: didn't. But um, uh, the next one was the Mueller Report. I didn't have anything for that. Uh, we did... Decent research on that It was literally
0: a primary source. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It was literally a primary
1: source. (laughs) uh, I, I think it's easier to say we also didn't have anything for Black Caviar. We do have a thing to talk about for all in a row, episode 58. It was
0: actually probably the impetus for this entire endeavor, perhaps.
1: No, not really. I mean, we were already planning on doing a retrospective and then a listener... Um, had a really good uh, point to make with us, and we wanted to share that on the show today. So, uh, listener Caitlin, she's been a really loyal listener of Terrible Club for a long time. Uh, I, I just know because she's been like tweeting at us for a long time, um, and she's always been really cool and supportive of the show. And she sent us a message after we um, published the uh, episode 58 all in a row. Uh, stating that she was really disappointed that we had an ABA therapist on the show as guest, um, uh, you know, the, this guy, Adam, who we had on, uh, and, and she was saying that she was really concerned because ABA therapy has this, like, horrible history, and, you know, she was just really disappointed, and I was like, yo, you're right, we probably should have clarified that, like, ABA therapy does have a really sordid history, but, of course, the, you know, our guest, Adam, like, we... We would never have anyone on the show who is torturing folks or engaging in any kind of unseemly activities, uh, but we definitely should have done a better job clarifying because I think that, yeah, on the surface, if we're like, oh, we have this ABA therapist on, like, yeah, some of those people are fucking downright evil. Like, uh, there's this horrible fucking place um, called the Judge Rotenberg Center that is still, like, electrocuting people. um, uh, like, tying people up and throwing them in locked rooms for days on the end, like, that stuff is still happening in this country today, and there are people that still think that that if you have, if if you're a person with autism, you're an autistic person, um, you need to be electroshocked and, like, have all these horrible things done to you, um, and then there's, like, some kind of, there's another version of evil ABA therapy where it's, like, less outright um, cruel and more kind of subtly cruel, where... Um, at times people are uh forced into neurotypical activity even if it is um at their detriment just to make neurotypical people comfortable which is of course fucked up like we shouldn't be doing that what the fuck like come on people no and some examples of this are like um forcing folks with autism to make eye contact if they don't want to or um you know, forcing them to smile all the time. And, like, that's horrible. That That's a that's torture also. And so, uh, you know, she reached out to us and I, you know, I wrote back. I talked to Adam a little bit and was like, hey, man, like, you know, I just want to assure our listeners that this, you know, because I was like, look, I know that you're not engaging in uh, this, type of, this type of stuff, but I just want to, you know, make that clear. Um, and he sent us some... Some links which I am now realizing I forgot to send to Caitlin, so sorry about that. I will, um, I'll put them in the episode and I'll just send you, uh, I'll tweet you back or whatever. Um, but I think he recommended someone called the Behavior Babe, uh, which is, I, don't know, I find that kind of a weird, okay. a weird thing, okay. a weird title. Um, and he he recommended something else actually, um, which I should probably have written down, but I did not. Um, so bear with me for a moment, but yeah, I basically just want to um assure listeners that yeah we would never we would never welcome anyone on the show who we knew to be actively engaged in torturing people or uh treating people poorly in any way i mean of course if it ever comes to light that that is happening we will of course denounce that person um fuck that like we would never support anything like that so um just want to make that clear so yeah in closing aba therapy does have a really bad history of being terrible but um, the kind of philosophy um, of people nowadays sort of people in our age range so people who are maybe in their 20s 30s now are trying to change the way that it works and what they do is they just help folks who are you know not neurotypical function in the world um, and they, they help them to self regulate their behavior um, so they're not they're not like treating them like you know like dogs or anything kind of like the the things in the play like things in the play were um were described where it was literally kind
0: of like a, lawrence is treated like an animal most of the time.
1: yeah part. yeah like that's that's not what they're doing um so i think that yes some people that practice aba therapy practice a really bad form of it but our guest adam uh does not engage in that and is part of the movement that is trying to uh be more useful to folks who are not neurologically typical um and just kind of help them exist better in the world and improve their lives like the 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 whole thing kind of how adam described it to me was like his whole reason for doing this is to improve their lives not not to make more not to make the rest of the neurotypical world comfortable it's to make people who are not neurologically typical, more comfortable in in the world, and not to force them into a mold, but to just kind of help them move around that mold, I guess. Um, I know, I guess this is kind of a hard thing to describe, but yeah, I, I, yeah, again, just wanted to specify that, like, yeah, we're uh, not trying to have assholes on the show, not trying to put shitty um, shitty beliefs forward. We would never do that. Uh, so thank you very much to Caitlin for pointing that out to us. Uh, yeah, we, yeah, Please
0: voice your Opinions like that if you do have reason to be troubled by someone we have on or something we talk about. Um, and that's about wrapping it up, I would say. Um, like we said, Black Cowarder didn't really have much to be wrong about there. So that's uh, – there you go. We've After like three and a half, four hours, we've <laughs> hopefully cataloged as much as we can of, of all the times we were slightly or massively wrong.
1: Yeah, I mean, of course, there's always a chance we miss something. Um, I will say, listening to episodes of myself talking for weeks at a time was fucking torture, and I really never want to do this again. I didn't like it
0: either. <laughs> I, I, maybe we're not going to do this again, but who knows? At least yeah. we'll have a smaller backlog next time.
1: Yeah, hopefully. Uh, so this is a closing. Uh, so before we go, we'd just like to thank our Patreon supporters. And those folks are Dari, Greg, Will, Veronica, D, Jared, Lynn, Sina, Jakub, Torben, a.k.a. Duck King, Bobby Black Cat, Sina, and Ayame. These folks make each and every episode of Terrible Book Club possible and have just helped us fund a first run of TBC bookmarks, which have actually been sent out into the world for our patrons. So if you would like a bookmark, you can become a patron. If you want to help support the show, you can become a patron. It includes the bookmark. I really didn't plan this very well. Uh, this is not a great. It's not a great ending. Uh, but <laughs> if you want to join the illustrious list of names that we read. Uh, during the show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash join slash terrible book club at the $5 a month level or higher. You can enjoy special video segments and what is essentially uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 with me and Chris, where we watch movies or TV show companions to books we've read on the podcast. Um, sometimes we also do things outside of that. So like right now we're watching the OA, we're watching the second season of it. That's been really entertaining. Uh, You can also do us a favor and download the Radio Public app and listen to us on there. That helps us passively generate income for the show. Um, And if you want to reach out to us, you can reach out to us and say hi and interact with us. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, or Facebook. You can also send an email to us at terriblebookclub at gmail.com. If you haven't done so, it's also helpful if you review the show or just share it somewhere on social media, tell your friends, etc. I'm really hot and tired of talking about mistakes i've made so i'm gonna go away now close this book forever (laughs) yep uh we are actually about to record um a video segment for the patreon right now so
0: i'm so ready it's in the room with air conditioning
1: yeah i know uh so yeah thank you for tuning into this bonus episode and we'll see you next week for a real episode for the month of maradonia
0: the month of maradonia i don't know what i was doing some
1: crazy <laughs> wait what was the what? Maradonia. <laughs> maradonia maradonia this was the eel song oh wow well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was just that was just the
1: same theme for the whole maradonia movie yeah. uh we have it on the patreon if you haven't seen it yet
0: that's a good that's worth your five dollars a load.
1: we have had several patrons tell us that that is indeed the case where it's worth their patron dollars just to watch the Maradonia movie with us so alright see you next week everyone bye Paris bye Chris